This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Uh, Hey, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and I'm so excited to guide us today. Uh, If it's your first time here, welcome, welcome. So glad you're here. I want you to make yourself at home. So if that means going out to the lobby, grabbing a cup of coffee, uh, grabbing some tea, bringing it in, that's fine. If you want to kick your shoes off, kick them off, get comfortable. Uh, If you spill, no big deal. We always tell people you're more important than a carpet square. So if making you comfortable uh, by bringing in some coffee opens the door for you to be able to encounter God, I'd rather have you bring coffee in and spill. No big deal. No big deal. Um, When you walked in, you should have got a program that will tell you where we're going today. Uh, It's got a card that says start here. That's our connection card. I would ask everybody on good faith just to fill it out. I've got so much to talk about today that I'm not going to spend a ton of time there, but fill it out because we're going to use it a little bit later. In your program, you've got some teaching notes, and I will warn you right up front, there is too much on there, and it's my fault. I put too many notes on there, but here's why. The topic we're going to press into today, it's one that the church has largely been silent about throughout the generations, and I just had a lot I wanted to say, so my hope would be that you take it home, you talk about it, and here's the best part. If you're married, you can say, hey, Kevin said that. I don't know about that. What do you think about that? Yeah, that was all Kevin's idea, but it might be a good one, and I can take the blame, and you can take the credit if it works out well for you, so that's pretty good. So grab your notes. We're in a series called Modern family that has just been fantastic. Hasn't it been a good series for us, church? Yeah, it's been great. Uh, Here's what we've been talking about. If you've missed a few weeks or if you're coming in for the first time, we said this, God has a design for marriage and for family, and he wants every one of our families, all of our marriages, wherever we're at, to take some next steps as we head into 2016. So if you're at a rocky point in your marriage and things are right on the on the ragged edge, my prayer for you has been that you would take a step to be a little more healthy over these last handful of weeks. And if you've got a healthy, good marriage, um, that it would get even stronger. Uh, I said this, if you're single, this is the best series for you because everything we're talking about is proactive for you. Like, you don't have any regret. You don't have to apologize for anything. It's all moving forward. And if you take this stuff and apply it, when you get into relationships, you'll be like the smartest married person in the world. And your friends will say, how did you do that? And you'll say, I'm just, I'm just that good. So go ahead and, uh, and enjoy it where we are. Today, we're talking about intimacy. And we're going to talk about four different levels of intimacy, including sex. We're going to have a, a sex talk today, and here's why I thought it was appropriate. Next Sunday, it marks our church's 18th birthday, so we're grown-ups, and it's time to have a sex talk because we hit 18. Now, here's why I want to talk about this. Uh, and I said to you last week, this is going to be a, a PG message. Nothing crude, nothing inappropriate, but parental guidance is suggested. And I encouraged you, if you've got kids who are about sixth grade and up, bring them in with you. Bring them in with you. Because the stuff that we're going to be talking about, I guarantee they're already having conversations. Guaranteed. And God's desire would be that that we would be able to, as a community, partner together, have conversations. And so everything I'm going to say, I think, will be really helpful. They're already talking about it. But I will warn you, it's going to take some conversation going home. But I said, if my, if my daughter, she's our oldest, if she was in sixth grade, I would absolutely have her in here so that we could have some conversations. And I see some of you are here, and I think that's fantastic. And some of you parents decided to keep your kids in their various ministries right now, and you're just testing it out this service, and you're going to bring them in next service if it's good. And I think you will be happy that you did. Uh, so we're going to talk about what I'm calling the four train cars of intimacy. If you remember, way back in week one, we asked this question, why do I say I do in a marriage? Like, what's the purpose of marriage? If we zoom way out, and here's what we landed on. The purpose of marriage is to give myself to another person, not to take, 
to give myself to another person in a way through serving, forgiving, giving of myself in a way that helps me, be, me become more like Jesus. That that's God's grand vision for marriage, that I would give myself to another person in a way that helps me become more like Jesus. And here's the best part of understanding marriage that way. The harder your spouse is to love, the more opportunity you have to become more like Jesus by giving yourself to that person. So it's a win-win for everybody. And today what I want to do is I want to, I want to continue on this journey because I said romance, which is something I think we all want in relationship, is the caboose of that train. And what I want to do today is talk about three other train cars that lead to our last level of intimacy, this sexual level of intimacy, because there's a survey that came out not that long ago that said that 75% of married couples find their sex life unfulfilling, unfulfilling. And it could be that the reason it's unfulfilling is that we've largely skipped the first three train cars of intimacy, and we're only focusing on the fourth. And maybe we know uh, the actions. We get how to do it. We don't understand why to do it and how to lead to it in a way that's mutually fulfilling and beneficial. And the church, like I said, has been silent on this topic. And we're silent for a number of reasons. The first is because pastors are embarrassed oftentimes, right? But uh, it's hard to embarrass me, so you don't have to worry about that. But because pastors are often embarrassed, if you grew up in church like I did, the sum and total of uh, sex conversations that you had in church probably went something like this. Sex is bad. Sex is dirty. Don't talk about it. Don't think about it. But when you get married, have a lot of it with your spouse. That's an odd thing for the church to say, isn't it? Can we just be honest? But we're just embarrassed to talk about it. I got an amen. I think... Churches are afraid that we will ruffle some feathers when we have these types of conversations. But the truth is, at New Life, we've never been afraid to ruffle a few feathers in honest, open dialogue. I think some of the reason why pastors don't talk about sex is because we're terrified that if we open up Pandora's box by telling the truth about sex, um, that I think they're scared that their church members won't know what to do with that information and they'll go crazy. But I'll tell you what, I trust you as a church. I believe that armed with the truth about God's design, we will make the choices that God designed for us to make and will only lead to freedom. So I want to talk about sex, the truth of it. Here are a few things we just need to lay out up front. Sex is good. It's not bad. It's not ugly. It's not dirty. It's not taboo. And we do a disservice to ourselves and a disservice to our kids. And quite honestly, we do a disservice to God who created sex. When we have this mindset that it's a bad thing, sex is good. And sex is a gift. Did you know that? God gave it to us as a gift, not solely for the purposes of procreation. If that was the case, you could just shake hands and become pregnant and it'd be done. But that's not the case. There's supposed to be a level of enjoyment to it. It's good. It's a gift. And sex has guidelines. We're just saying that God is a good, good father. And like any good father, God loves to give good gifts to his children. But we all know that any good gift outside of the guidelines can be destructive. So God gives us a good gift and he gives us guidelines so that we can get the most out of the gifts. Because even the best things in life, if they aren't used properly, can be painful. And I learned that back in fifth grade. My twin brother and I, we rode our rollerblades downtown to downtown Glendora, met some friends there, and we'd always go to this candy store called Martha's Candy Shop, and it was amazing. And the big thing back in the late 80s, early 90s were pixie sticks. 
But I'm not talking about the paper, little tiny, wimpy pixie sticks. I'm talking about the plastic tube, like, looks like a lightsaber pixie sticks. It was like three feet of sugary goodness. And so we put our 50 cents down, we grab our pixie stick, open it up, and we'd start to shoot it. And it was delicious. The surge of energy going through you was great. But one day my friends and I got this idea. We said, well, if it's good to eat the pixie stick, maybe there's other things we could do with the pixie stick. And we'd made up something that we called pixie sniffing. (laughs) Yes, it's just like it sounds. My friends and I went outside to a public table in downtown Glendora. We made little lines of sugar, and then we, we snorted flavored sugar up our noses. Can I tell you? That was the worst feeling in the world. It was horrible. It was really bad. But here's what I learned. Even the best things, flavored granulated sugar, even the best things outside of the proper guidelines can be painful to us. And so God gives us good gifts, and he gives us guidelines so that we can get the most out of the gift and so that it does not cause pain. And sex is good. It's a gift, and he gives us guidelines because outside of it, it can cause pain. So what I want to do today is start off with the first place that God talks about sex. Where does he lay it out? And it's in the very beginning of our Bible. We're going to look at the gift. We're going to look at the guidelines. It's in the book of Genesis. And just to give us some backstory, the first couple chapters of Genesis are God telling us how the world was created. And so we get to Genesis chapter 2, and he gets specifically to people, to men and women, and how they were created. And he's created animals and plants. And at this point in the story, we're going to be in Genesis 2. At this point in the story, God's created a man. And God and this man, Adam, have this perfect relationship. They're fully connected to each other. They're having a great time. But God recognizes that there's something missing in the relationship. And this is where we pick up in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. So I'm going to make for him a helper. And hold on to that word. By the way, it's up on the screen because I had too many notes to fit it in your notes. I'm going to make for him a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what the man would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds and the animals. Verse 20 says, but for Adam, no suitable, there's that word again, helper. We're going to circle back to that. No suitable helper was found for him. So the Lord God caused, caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was asleep, he took one of the man's ribs. And I want you to remember that because it's, it's important in the story. He took one of the man's ribs and then closed up that place with flesh. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man. And he brought the woman to him. And then Adam says this Hebrew poem that's really beautiful. It doesn't translate well in English, but it's beautiful in the original language. He says, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she came out of man. So this man is living in a perfect relationship with God, but God knows there's still something missing in in partnerships on the earth. And so God does something brilliant. God brings all the animals over to the man so that he can name him and so that he can see these various animals and realize that while dog might be man's best friend, it's not an equal partner, a suitable helper for him. I, I, I think it's interesting that nowhere in the creation story does God say anything about cats. I don't think that's accidental. I don't think, I don't know for sure. I don't know. I don't know. If that's going to offend you, you might want to leave now. (laughs) 
And it says, but no helper was found. And that word helper is an interesting word. It literally means partner. Partner. Actually, in the rest of the Bible, God refers to himself that way. He says, I'm your partner. I'm your helper. And when we think about God, we never think that God is like our servant, right? We think that God is is with us in partnership. And it's the same idea here. The woman's not created to be a servant. She's created to be a partner. And he goes even one step further to show this. He takes a man's rib, which is right in the middle of his body, not above so that the woman would rule over him, and not below so that she would be seen as subservient to him. But he takes from the man's rib right in the middle of of the man because she's his partner, his co-equal in this world. And from that creates a woman. And then the author steps out of the narrative at this point, and he gives us the context for why God brought the two of them together. Verse 24 says this, This is why a man leaves his father and mother, and he's united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. The idea of uniting and two becoming one in the context of marriage, husband to wife, wife to husband— is not that two people just kind of join things together, but that two people actually become one. There's a commingling of spirit, commingling of body, commingling of soul, commingling of everything. In this context, there's complete vulnerability and transparency and freedom. And we know that because he says the people were naked and they felt no shame. They felt no fear of being exploited by another person in their vulnerability. They felt no embarrassment about their bodies. And they were able to give themselves to each other freely and completely. Why? Because they become one in this union that was indissolvable. And in the context of that lifelong committed relationship where the two become one, they for the first time experience true intimacy with each other. And here's a working definition of intimacy for us. It's the sharing of our innermost world with another person. It includes sex, but again, that's just one train car in the intimacy train. It's the sharing of our innermost world, our thoughts, our dreams, our hopes, our desires with another person in a completely safe relationship where we're together forever. And then in the context of that kind of intimacy, notice where God gives the gift. It says God blessed them. And here's the blessing he gave. Be fruitful and increase in number. In the context of this lifelong committed marriage between a husband and a wife, God brings sex into the picture. And he says sex is a way to give yourself in service to your spouse. Remember, the whole idea behind marriage, God said, is to give ourselves to another person, to serve them, forgive them, to partner with them, to put their desires above ours, like Ron talked about last week, in a way that helps us become more like Jesus. And that's the context for sex. It's not about taking, which is what a lot of us grew up with, especially guys. How many times were you in the locker room, and what did they say? I got some. What were they saying? I took something from her, and it's mine. I got some. But sex is about giving to someone else in in this beautiful, guilt-free, shame-free environment. But you might be here and you're thinking, yeah, but why does it have to be marriage? Why can't I give myself to someone else in a loving relationship outside of the context of marriage? And the truth is you can. You can. 
But remember, God gives gifts and he gives guidelines so we can get the most out of them. And here's the thing about sex. Sex is like this really powerful bonding agent. If you're like me and you're really bad at art projects, you've probably super glued your fingers together. Am I, am I the only one? Okay. Sex is like super glue. Imagine these are our two people. And sex is like super glue that glues them together. It bonds them together. Sex was designed actually to bond people together. Which is why after you get into a fight with your spouse, makeup sex can be great. Why? Because you've broken something in that relationship and you've healed it. You've forgiven each other and now you're bonding back together. It's part of God's design for us that sex would be this bonding agent and that it would bond us together for life. Because here's the problem with tearing it apart if you've ever torn your fingers apart after having super glue on them, when you tear apart from that person, you leave a bit of yourself with them. And you scar yourself a little bit. And in the context of sex, then if we join with another person, we're bonded with them. And then we break apart, we leave a little bit of ourselves again, and we scar ourselves a little more, and we join together, and we break apart, and we join together, and we break apart. And over time, we've left ourselves with other people, and we've lost some of ourselves. And we've scarred ourselves, and we've become calloused. It could be emotional callous. It could be sexual callous. It could be, it could be physical calluses. But God's design for it in the context of marriage is so that we would not have to experience the pain of tearing apart and coming back together. And here's the thing. Intuitively, you and I know that that's the best way to live. Here's why I say that. I've never heard a guy say to me, boy, I can't wait to tell my future wife about all my past sexual partners. That's going to be a great conversation. I've never, had, I've never had a guy say, I'm so glad I've got these images of other women running through my head while I'm with my wife. It's really helping our marriage. I've never heard a woman say, I am so thankful that my husband has other women to compare me to. Why? Because we intuitively know that God's guidelines are good. They're good for us. In the context of that relationship, it glues us together. But broken out of that relationship, it only causes pain, and God doesn't want pain for you. Now, some of us are here, and you're hearing that. And right now, it's bringing up a little bit of shame, a little bit of guilt, a little bit of regret. And I want to tell you as your friend and as your pastor, God's desire for you is not that you would live with shame and guilt and regret because of your past sexual history. God's desire is that you would experience his forgiveness and his freedom. Some of you are sitting here and you're saying, I know the pain of tearing apart. I feel the calluses. God would say to you, I want to heal you. I want to forgive you. I want you to experience joy and freedom in your relationship. And if that's you, a little bit later, we're going to talk about how to experience God's freedom from that regret and from that pain. But now that we know the guidelines, now that we know the gift, I want to talk about how we build intimacy into our relationships. This is where I want to talk about those first three cars before we get to the caboose at the end. And we'll spend a lot of time on the caboose, but I want to talk about the first three cars because if it's true that 75% of couples have unfulfilling sexual relationships, it's not because they don't know how to have sex. It's because they've forgotten about the first three cars and they're not building on these and they want, you can't figure out why this seems to be lacking. So I'm going to talk about four types of intimacy, and then I'm going to give us tips on how to build on each of those four types of intimacy. The first is this. It's the, it's the primary level. It's the base level. It's day-to-day intimacy. That's just sharing the details of our day with our spouse. Day-to-day intimacy. 
my parents were so good at this when I was a kid. My dad would come home from work, and we'd be in the living room watching DuckTales, and he would head straight to the kitchen. And he and mom, for like 15 minutes, would just talk about their day. The good, the bad, what happened. It's just fact sharing. It's basic levels of intimacy, sharing our day. But the truth is, for a lot of us, we get home, we've been thinking about work all day long. We've been having conversations, and we don't want to talk about our day. And so we shut down, and we miss that first level of intimacy. And if we don't have that, we can't build to the next Here's some ideas, just some ideas on how to build day-to-day intimacy. The first is this. What if you took just 15 minutes, first thing when you got home? Let the kids keep watching TV. Let them keep doing their thing. Let them do their homework. Just talk about your day for 15 minutes with your spouse. It will get you back together in that level of intimacy after being separated for a day. The second one is this, eating together. Eat regular meals where the phone is off, the TV's off, the music's off, and we're just talking to each other. That will build intimacy both as a family and as a couple. And the third idea is this. Date your spouse on a regular basis. I'll say at least twice a month. And here's why I would say at least twice a month. Because for the last few months, that's about the best my wife and I have done, and I thought I'd like to win. So I said at least, that's just honest. That's just honest. I said twice a month. More is better. Listen, I took Maria out. We went on a date twice this week. Hey, twice this week. (laughs) Maria loves it when I preach on this kind of stuff because she's like, we're going on dates. We're having a great time. Date your spouse. Break out of the routine and just share. Get away from everything that's happening at home and just, just talk to each other. That's what we used to do, right, when we were dating. We talked to each other about our day, which leads to the second type of intimacy, heart to heart intimacy. That's where we share emotional intimacy with each other. It's sharing our our secret fears, hopes, joys, dreams. Sharing our insecurities, our failures, our successes. Intimacy builds there. Guys, let me talk to you for a second because I, I are one. Listen, this level of intimacy is one that our wives crave. They crave heart-to-heart intimacy. And this is the one that we usually have the hardest time getting to. We're okay sharing facts, and we like to think we're pretty good at having sex. (laughs) But this one's tough. This one's tough for us. Can I encourage you, fellas? Press in here. Press into the second level of intimacy. Here's a a couple ideas on how to do it. Make an intentional list of questions that you want to ask your spouse. In fact, um, I'm here to help. So I actually found nine sets of questions for nine different date nights to help you do this. You don't even have to make your own list. I did it for you. All you have to do is go and download (laughs) tinyurl.com slash nldatenight. That's nine dates worth of questions right there. That's almost half a year. We talk about how in love we were when we were first dating. You know what you did when you were first dating? You talked on this level. What are your hopes? What are your dreams? What are you afraid of? And it built intimacy together. Let's rebuild that. The third type is this, soul-to-soul intimacy. It's when we experience that deep relationship with God and we share the journey with our spouse. We pray together, serve together, worship together. That's soul-to-soul intimacy. We put God first in our life, in our family, in our finances. I can tell you a couple ways to grow in this would be talk about what you're learning in your times with God. Just talk about it. Maybe read a Bible verse together and just talk about it together. Pray together. 
And I know that can be awkward, especially starting out to pray together. So start small. Pray at a meal. Pray in the morning. Just pray for your day together. Just start off small. It doesn't have to be like a big 15-minute prayer. Let's start praying together and then build on it. And then serve together. One of my favorite things to do with Maria is she's on one of our worship teams. So once a month she leads worship and she plays keyboard. And so the days when she's playing keyboard and I'm preaching are some of my favorite days. Because we get up, we get here, we get the kids here. I watch her use her gifts and abilities and it just draws me to her. And then she watches me preach and use my gifts and it draws her to me. It just builds that soul-to-soul intimacy together. And we leave the day exhausted but fulfilled and actually closer together because we were doing this together. Find something you both enjoy in service to God and do it together. It will build that soul-to-soul intimacy. And then we get to the last one. Body-to-body. Physical intimacy. I want to talk first about some roadblocks to this, because we all have them, but it's awkward to talk about them sometimes. So rather than you having to talk to your spouse, I'll do it, and then you can go home and just talk about the notes and say, yeah, Kevin said that. That's weird. We should try it. That's good. Okay? <laughs> Let's talk roadblocks to physical intimacy. The first is fatigue. I used to think that was only something that people said to get out of having sex. Now I have kids, and I work, and I realize we are exhausted at the end of our day. Fatigue is big. Get a good night's sleep. Figure out the right times as a couple to be together, and then set aside that time. Our past, our past follows us. It's got like an invisible bungee cord, our past does, and it slings into the future when we're least expecting it. Your past could be blocking your physical intimacy with your spouse. Maybe you felt unloved as a child, and it's causing you to feel vulnerable and unsafe. Maybe you were abused sexually, physically or emotionally. And now, whenever you you try to open yourself up to be with your spouse, you find yourself closed off and scared. And it's nothing they did. It's it's your past. Can I say, if that's you, um, we've got a counselor, and actually his information's on the back. There's a guy in our church. He's a counseling intern. He's so good. His name's Marty. His information is here. If that's you, I want to encourage you. Give him a call. It's, it's It's a fair cost for counseling, and he's an excellent counselor. But that stuff in your past will affect you in your present and will affect your future. It could be past sexual encounters that are robbing you of joy today because you haven't been honest with your spouse and you haven't forgiven yourself and experienced God's forgiveness. It could be pornography. I want to talk about this for a second because this is one of the few times when I got an email from somebody and they said, I'm never coming back to your church because you talked about that. They said, a pastor shouldn't talk about that. But like I said, we're not going to shy away from anything here. When I was 18 to 22, I had a pornography addiction, multiple hours a day. And I thought it was a private sin. And I thought it didn't affect anybody else. This is just my thing. No one even knows about it. It ended a relationship in college. And had I not gotten help and dealt with it and found accountability and taken steps towards freedom, it would have hurt my relationship with Maria. It's not a private problem. It's not a private sin. It affects relationships, even if we don't think it does. And if you're here and you're struggling with pornography, I want to encourage you, get help. Find accountability, someone of the same sex. Pray together, talk together, take some next steps. Come talk to me if you need some next steps on that. Uh, Another thing that's a block is unrealistic expectations. Friends, we are bombarded with sexually explicit pictures and ideas everywhere, and it leaves us with a feeling that, you know, your wife should look like Pamela Anderson and you should look like David Hasselhoff, you know, or someone else that you find attractive. We 
need to have realistic expectations. Your wife is not going to look after 20 years like she did then. And praise God. The Bible says, enjoy the wife of your youth. Celebrate her and enjoy her in every season. Listen, you're not going to look like you did when you were 22. You're not, guys. We want to embrace our spouse where they are. That's part of helping them feel loved and accepted. But if we think they're supposed to look like they did before they had our two kids, we're mistaken. And it's wrong. It's just wrong. Another one is ongoing conflict. Ephesians 4 says, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, because if you do, you give the devil a foothold. And it's not saying that you have to stay up all night and keep going on that fight. I've done that. Listen, sometimes the things you say at 3 a.m. when you're trying to resolve the conflict are the worst part of the fight. Sometimes it means we go to bed tonight committing to fix it in the morning. But what the author's saying is simply this— Don't let conflict build up without resolving it. It will build up and it will affect your intimacy with your spouse on all levels. And the last one is this. Male and females have differences. Biological differences, we're just different. And it can affect things in the bedroom. We're emotionally different. I've never heard a man say, and maybe your husband does, but I've never heard a man say, I just want to be held tonight. Just... (laughs) Just cuddle me. That's all I want. We don't have to have sex. Just cuddle me. I said to my wife one time, I'm like, I feel so small in your arms. It didn't go over all that well. Let's just acknowledge that husbands and wives, men and women, are different. We're we're different. Sexually, we're different. Guys, you're like a light switch. You turn on easy, you turn off easy. Your wife is like an iron. It takes her time to warm up. Sometimes you're turning off the lights before the iron is ready to go. (laughs) This is one where you're going to go back and say, Kevin said that. That's not true, is it? Well, we should try anyway. (laughs) Those are just some of the blocks, guys. I want us to talk about it. We are adults. Let's talk about it. How do we build safety and intimacy in the bedroom? Let's go there as we wrap our time up together. Well, first, it takes communication about sexual and non-sexual things. This happens in those first three cars. Communication with each other. Communication, communication. The second one is this. We need to create an atmosphere of affection that develops outside of the bedroom. I'm going to say what sounds like an oxymoron for a lot of men. Non-sexual touching. I know. Non-sexual touching. You guys are thinking, what? What? Here's why this is so important. Fellas, if the only time we touch our wives is when we want to have sex, you know what we're communicating to her? You're an object. And I only want you at this time. And I'm saying this because some of you wives said, are you going to touch on that? So what do we do? If we want to build intimacy, we touch each other in non-sexual ways. Holding hands. Rubbing back. Rubbing her hair. I don't want to know what you do, but... (laughs) Touch each other. The next is this. Create an atmosphere of affirmation. An atmosphere of affirmation. Hey, wives, does your husband know that you respect him? You think, of course he does. Well, how would he know? Unless you tell him. Does he know you respect him? That you trust him? That you believe in him? That you're happy to be married to him? Wives or husbands, does your wife know that you think she's beautiful? That you're so glad to be married to her? That you love her partnership? That you couldn't imagine your life without her? Do you have an atmosphere of affirmation outside of the bedroom? It will carry in. Another idea is to engage in recreational activities that you both enjoy. 
I love what Ecclesiastes 9 says. It says, enjoy the wife. Enjoy life with your wife. Keep the friendship aspect alive. Play games together. Find an activity you both enjoy doing and do it together. Doing things outside of the bedroom as friends will heat up things inside the bedroom. And finally, as we close, have an attitude of serving. Remember, sex is a way to give yourself to your spouse. Sex is not about taking from them. It's about giving to them. In an atmosphere of mutual respect and friendship and partnership and love and commitment. Do you have that? God's great desire for your sex life is that it would bond us together in a mutually self-giving way. It's a gift from a good father. And he gave guidelines so that we could experience the most in it. And here's the crazy thing. When you give yourself to your spouse, instead of trying to take from them, when you give yourself to them, more often than not, you experience that thing that you wanted anyway because our spouses know it, and then they give themselves back to us. That's God's desire for it. It's just another way to give ourselves to our spouse. I told you if you're here today and this message has brought up any level of pain, any level of regret, any level of shame or guilt or hurt, God does not want you to walk out of here carrying that. God brought you here so that you could hear this, that he loves you, that he delights in forgiving you, that he can heal you of your places of hurt and pain and regret. He can do it. And he's inviting you today. We're going to pray in just a second. Partway through that prayer time, I'm just going to have a moment of silence where you can just pray silently to God. And you can talk to him. And if you've got some regret because you've lived outside of God's guidelines, here's what I would say. I would say to God, God, I'm sorry for living outside of your guidelines. I want to live within your guidelines for sex. Would you please forgive me? And we're told that God will forgive you right there because he loves to. And if you have hurt and pain and regret from past sexual encounters, in that time I would say, God, would you please begin to heal that pain? And we're told that God will. He'll start that process of healing. So I want to invite you to do that. And I said from the very beginning, sex is a gift. God loves to give gifts because he loves his kids and we are his kids. And while this is a good gift, it's not the best gift. The best gift God ever gave was himself. Justin talked about it during communion. That God gave himself, he gave his life on the cross and Jesus looked on the cross and he loved you. He loved me. And that's what kept him on the cross was his love for us. And when he gave himself on the cross, here's the gift he gave to us. He gave us the chance to be forgiven of our sin. He gave us the chance to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. He gave us the chance to experience freedom from regret and hurt and pain. He gave us the chance to start over again in life and begin new and begin fresh. And if you're here today and you've never entered into a personal relationship with God, experienced his forgiveness, his love, his healing, and his guidance in your life, then today's your chance to do that. And after our time of silence where we're going to be able to pray silently, I'm going to lead you through a prayer if you're ready to commit your life to God and say, God, I want to start this relationship with you. And if that's you, I'll just ask you to repeat that prayer after me. You can whisper it where you're sitting or you can say it in your mind. God hears and responds. So would you join me? Let's pray together. God, I just want to start out by thanking you for my friends in this room. 
Thank you that we are a community that is not only willing, but excited to engage with you around all aspects of life. Thank you that you've allowed me to lead a church community that wants to know you better and experience you more fully, to follow you more closely, Lord, and to live within your guidelines as we experience your best. Thank you, God, for my friends in this room. And right now, I just want to give us a time in this silence, in the quiet of this moment, to do some business with God. And if you're here and you've got some pain or some hurt or some regret, now would be the time to release that to God, to ask God to forgive you and to begin to bring healing in your sexuality, in your sexual history, and then to ask God for guidance moving forward. So if that's you, go ahead, just silently take, take a moment and do your business with God. Pray for my friends, Lord, who might have some hurt, shame, guilt, fear because of past sexual experiences, because of things around their own sexuality. I pray that today would be a day of freedom, God, for my friends. Would they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're with them in this moment, that you love to forgive You love to heal and you love to redeem things that have been broken in the past. God, would you begin that process for many of my friends? As we continue to pray, if you're ready to commit your life to God, to start this journey with him, you can repeat this simple prayer after me. Just say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you gave your life to pay the penalty for my sin and I want to have a relationship with you. So would you come into my life Would you forgive me of my sin and fill me with your spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day from this day forward, even as I walk into eternity? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.